0: tonight in your Bibles, if you would turn and join me in Exodus chapter 23, Exodus chapter 23. And our focus this evening is on verses one through nine. This section that we're in in Exodus right now is a section that is called the book of the covenant. And it is a collection of laws. Laws a collection of laws that really could, in one way, be viewed as building on top of the foundation that was laid in the Ten Commandments. And so many of these commands directly relate to one of those Ten Commandments and could be viewed as more specific cases or more specific applications of the Ten Commandments. The passage that we're looking at tonight in Exodus 23, 1 through 9 Most of it, there are a couple verses that don't directly relate to it, but most of this passage is applying the ninth commandment to social life and society in Israel. And the ninth commandment is to not bear false witness against our neighbor. The ninth commandment is about truthfulness. But the ninth commandment is more than just about truthfulness. It's also about true justice. Because one of, the, one of the things that's involved in the Ninth Command is specifically in a courtroom setting. To not perjure oneself, to be a false witness against someone that leads to a false verdict that could end up ruining someone's life or costing them their life. And so it's a very serious matter. And so in this passage, we have some more specific applications of that ninth commandment. And so much of this has to do with truthfulness, but a lot of it also has to do with that larger concept of justice, making sure that people are treated justly and rightly in accordance with the law. And then also, we see some passages in here, a couple of verses that have to do with, uh, with mercy, which is why I've titled this message Justice and Mercy, because those are the, the overriding themes. In this passage of Scripture, one of the things that is challenging when we read Old Testament laws and and when we preach from them and, and try to apply them is how do we bring laws that are, you know, 2,500, 3,000 years old, how do we bring these laws from an ancient Near Eastern society, an ancient Israelite perspective? And, and not just an ancient, not just any ancient country, but a country that was chosen by God to be his kingdom on earth, to be his theocratic people in which he was the ultimate king among them. And these laws were meant to govern that special society, Israel, as it related to one another and as it related to God. So when we try to take it forward, we're, we're covering a lot of gaps there. We're covering a lot of ground. Uh, There's a language barrier from Hebrew to English. There's a cultural barrier from ancient civilization to modern America. There's a history gap. But also we're dealing with the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, aren't we? So there are a lot of challenges in the way that we try to understand and then apply the laws to us as Christians today. I think in in many of these verses that we're going to look at tonight, if you are in any way associated with the legal system in, in our country, and there's lots of ways to be associated with the legal system, isn't there? I mean, you can be more directly on a day-to-day basis related to the legal system, perhaps as a lawyer, as a police officer, as a judge, you know, directly related to the legal system, that's your occupation your profession but many of us at different times might be called on to have a relationship to our country's legal system you might serve uh, as a witness in a case you might serve as a juror on a jury in a case and many of you probably have had an opportunity to do those things before and probably will in the future so Any relationship that we have to legal system, I think all of these laws can very directly apply to us as Christians, as God's people in the way that we seek to conduct ourselves in that legal setting. But then also, I think there are ways that we can apply many of these laws to beyond just that legal setting into the rest of our everyday affairs. And so I want to try to do that tonight as we look at some of these verses together. So let's read, uh, follow along as I read from verses 1 through 9 of Exodus 23. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit... Do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd, and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Let's bow together and pray. Our God, help us tonight as we look to your word. Help us to look to these words that you gave to your servant Moses to govern and to to arrange the society of your people that you had redeemed from Egypt and were were forming into your covenant holy people. Lord, today, as your, your people today in Christ, in new covenant with you, Help us to understand how these words apply to us and how we might understand more of who you are in your character and seek to live that out in our daily interactions with others. Father, bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to divide our message tonight into really two main sections, two main points. And the first of them is this. As God's people we need to be known as seekers of justice. As God's people, we need to be known as seekers of justice. Making sure that justice is carried out whenever we have the opportunity to seek for that justice. And there are several ways that this passage instructs us on the best ways to seek for justice. And one of those ways is given in verse 1. And that is to be sure that we don't speak falsehood. One way to seek for justice among our community, in our society, and even justice on a smaller scale in our own families, in our workplaces. One way to seek for justice and be advocates for justice is to be advocates of truth. Be advocates of truth. And one of the things that that this says at the very beginning of the passage the very first statement, do not spread false reports. Now you could see how that could fit into a legal setting. Okay. You don't want to bring false charges against someone. You don't want to um, unfairly accuse someone of doing something uh, who hasn't done it. But I think even beyond that, uh, even beyond the legal setting, I think all of us have a responsibility to be upholders of truth. And we can do that on a day-to-day basis by making sure that we don't spread rumors, hearsay, things that we hear that, that may not be true. And I think that the burden is on us to make sure that we're not just passing along bad information. And that's really easy to do, isn't it? I mean, that is so easy to do. You hear something about something that's happening in town. You hear this thing that happened over here at this place. And your instinct is automatically to start sharing that with somebody. It becomes a conversation starter with somebody. Hey, guess what I heard yesterday? But the problem is, is sometimes that news that passes around, and even for that matter, not even word, not even from... Uh, By word of mouth, but now even in our digital age, we have all kinds of false information being spread rapidly by the Internet, right? I mean, you can put out a fake post on Facebook, a fake post over Twitter or whatever, and it spreads like wildfire. It's like taking that that piece of false information, pouring gasoline on it and lighting it with a match inside of a a dry, uh, barren forest, And it just goes everywhere quickly and it spreads and you can't contain it. And so I think there is a burden of responsibility that rests on us as God's people to as much as we can seek to verify knowledge before we pass it on as truth. So don't just take everything that is talked about, everything that is rumored about, and just pass that along Un, undiscerningly. I think we should do have due justice or, or due diligence to see is, does this sound right? Let, let me, let me make a couple phone calls and see if this is in fact the case before we start spreading that news further. In other words, let's not be a part of the chain of the dissemination of false information. If false information reaches us and we know it's false or we do a little due diligence and we find out that it's false, then let it stop with us and not spread any further. And then let's seek to even correct, as we can, that false representation. So let's be people of truth. And as much as we can, Now, obviously, we can't know everything and it's hard to verify everything. But as much as we can, let's seek to be truth tellers. And, and be cautious about spreading things that we're not sure is truth. Another thing that we see in this passage is that for sure, to be seekers of justice, we need to not intentionally bear false witness against someone. I mean, the second part of verse 1 says that very clearly. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. That directly relates to the ninth commandment, doesn't it? Do not bear false witness. In this case, it seems to be you're not trying to put an innocent person and make that innocent person guilty. The way that verse 1 is phrased is you're seeking to help a guilty person get off by being a false witness. Either one, either seeking to accuse an innocent person by a false witness or helping a guilty person to get off by being a false witness, either one of them is a perversion of justice, isn't it? And as God's people, we need to make sure that we're telling the truth in matters of legality and justice. Verse two, there's another way that we can seek justice as God's people. And that is to make sure that we are advocating for the truth and not bending the truth just to suit the crowd. Just to please the crowd. And that's tempting to do sometimes, isn't it? When you've got a whole crowd of people, when you've got the majority of people wanting you to decide this way, that's a lot of pressure. But what this law is saying, specifically in the realm of legality, but I think we could even apply it more generally to even other moral decisions that we would make, is make the right decision. Whether you're a judge rendering a verdict or whether you're just one of God's people living your daily life, do not make a decision just based on what the crowd wants you to do. And I think today in our society, and and here I'm speaking to American society and our American legal system, I think very much there are several times where we have fallen into this trap of siding with the majority or siding with what we perceive to be the majority, or making a court decision based on where we think the winds are blowing in terms of public opinion. And I'll give you an example of that. In the um, Obergefell decision that rendered same-sex marriage legal in our country, that is, I believe, an error by the Supreme Court in which, and you can even see this by reading their arguments, is an error by the Supreme Court in which they, they included in it, in their decision, the general uh, prevailing view of the American people. They basically admitted there's no way that we would have decided this 10 years ago. But now we'll decide this this way. Why? Because public opinion had changed. Public opinion. Had shifted. I mean, in other words, they made a legal decision on the basis of public opinion. That's exactly what this verse is saying to not do. There was nothing in written law, nothing in the written Constitution, nothing in other precedents in written law which would lead them to make that decision that they made if they had not taken into account public opinion and public pressure. The job of judges, the job of the courts is to render justice, render verdicts based on truth, based on law. The Supreme Court's job is to read and interpret laws and make decisions and applications based on those written laws, not on the basis of what the prevailing view or public opinion is. It's very, very dangerous when you get into a situation in society where ethics and morality and now even law is determined by majority rule. Because when that happens, several things are repercussions of that. One of them is morality changes all the time, doesn't it? Depending on where the majority is on an issue. But the other thing that flows from that is when you decide morality by majority rule then the minority becomes oppressed and persecuted. And you can see that happening in our American culture today because the majority view now is toward this sexual freedom in law and in society. And for those who would say that are are Bible-believing Christians, in tune with the historic Christian faith for the last 2,000 years and say, I agree with everything that Christians have always said for the last 2,000 years, and that is that homosexuality is wrong. If you say that, you may lose your job. If you say that, you might be taken to court. If you're a cake baker and you say, I can't do this, or a florist and you say, I can't do this, you'll be taken to court. That's what happens when you have mob rule. When you have mob rule or majority rule, ethics changes all the time and then the minority becomes the persecuted. And God is saying, no, justice needs to be rendered based on truth, based on what is actually happening and based on what the law says, not based on what the crowd wants you to do. So don't bend the truth. Don't bend justice for the sake of the crowd. At the end of verse 3, we see, or or in verse 3, we see another way that we are to be seekers of justice. And that is, we are to not bend justice, even if it is for a good cause. Don't bend the truth, don't bend justice, even if it is for a good cause. Look at verse 3. Do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Now, if you've been following in Exodus, God has a heart for the poor, doesn't he? And we're even going to see it later on in this passage. Verse 6, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. So God has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for the widow and the fatherless and the foreigner. You can see that all over scripture. But what this is saying is even for the sake of the poor, you cannot pervert justice. In other words, justice needs to turn a blind eye to the status or the wealth of the person. It doesn't matter if somebody's rich or if they're poor, justice needs to be blind and render the truth rightly. And this speaks to, I think, I'm probably going to get in trouble for making this application as well, but there is a prevailing view among, out there today, It's, it's a very liberal view called liberation theology. And liberation theology essentially says that those who have been beaten down in the past, those who have been persecuted in the past, those who have been minorities in the past, now it's time to flip things upside down. And, and instead of just making things level and equal and open for all, liberation theology says, no, we need to give an advantage to those who have been beaten down in the past. To the poor, to the underprivileged, let's give them a leg up. But what this is saying is not that we don't have concern for the poor, but that when it comes to justice and making decisions fairly, it needs to treat people the same. And not give preference to one over the other, whether rich or poor. So don't bend the the truth or bend justice, even if it's for a good cause, like helping the poor. Uh, In verse seven, we see, do not distort justice by receiving false testimony and then dispensing punishment on an innocent person on the basis of that false testimony. So this goes to maybe a jury, maybe in a court system, they receive testimony. It is their job to seek to make sure that that testimony is true. And if they did not put forth due diligence and take in all the facts and take in all the information and do their job rightly to make sure that the truth is found out, God says, I'm going to hold you accountable if a person is wrongly put to death on the basis of false testimony. Now, is it possible for someone to flat-out perjure themselves and lie and dupe a jury? Sure, that can happen. But the jury, the judge, whoever's involved, needs to do their utmost best to make sure that they know the truth. Because if they don't, if they seek to cut corners, or if there's this piece of information that they find out, and they don't include it in their decision-making process... God says, I'm going to hold you accountable. Don't distort justice by receiving false testimony and then punishing an innocent person on the basis of that testimony. And then we see in verse 8, do not distort truth or justice for the sake of personal gain. Verse 8 talks about bribery. Verse 8 says, do not accept a bribe. Why? Because a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. That seems fairly obvious, right? Don't take bribes. Don't take bribes. But there are times when even this is not always crystal clear cut. Maybe somebody is receiving a bribe and they don't know it's a bribe yet. Because it's a gift in advance of something that may need to happen. Don't put yourself in a position, if you're in a position of leadership, of civic duty, in the legal system, even in, in your business, whatever it is, don't put yourself in a position where you are indebted to someone and where you have to make a decision on the basis of that indebtedness because they've given you a gift or a bribe. You need to make decisions rightly, what's in the best interests of your role, your position and the people that you represent. So don't distort justice for the sake of personal gain. So much in this passage about God's people seeking for justice, then the second part of the passage, the second part of the message is God's people need to be known as dispensers of mercy. Seekers of justice, but also dispensers of mercy. And there's a few verses in here that that seem to specifically relate to treating one another with mercy and compassion. We see a couple of examples in verses 4 and 5. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. Now, this could involve several things. This could involve truthfulness. This could involve um, perhaps a, a potential violation of the command against theft where you see a wandering uh, donkey and you say, oh, this must, this donkey must be lost. I guess I'll just take it inside my fold. This says to not do that. This says to make sure that you return it to the person. If you know who it belongs to, you know where it goes, then you return it. There's another passage of scripture. I believe it's in Deuteronomy that expands even a little bit more on this. And it says, If you know who the owner is, make sure you return it. If you don't know who the owner is, take it home, care for it. But you're to keep it as waiting for when that owner comes calling, looking for his missing animal. So it's always with the goal, with the intent of getting that animal back to its owner, getting his property back to him. If you see a donkey, he's fallen down under his load and he can't get back up get over there and help. Help that person, help the donkey, Resituate the load, get them back on the path again. Now here's the amazing thing about verses 4 and 5. You're supposed to do this for your enemy. You see that? If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, verse 5, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you, falling down, help it back up. We think that it's just a New Testament principle where Jesus says, Love your enemies. Guess what? It's right here in Exodus 23. Love your enemies. Even the people that don't treat you well, even the people that have mistreated you in the past, people that don't like you, people that don't love you, you show love to them. And you show concern for their well being and the well being of their animals and their property. So be kind and helpful even to those that we don't like or even to those people that mistreat us. That's being a dispenser of mercy. We also see in verses 6 and 9 that we must have our eyes open to the needs of those who are often marginalized in society, pushed to the edges. So in order to be dispensers of mercy, we have to have our eyes open to the needs of those who are often marginalized, pushed to the edges of society. And in verse 6, one of those groups is the poor. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. That seems to be the opposite of verse number 3, but really it's not opposite. Really what it's saying is really the same thing, but from two different perspectives. In verse 3, it's saying, be just and don't show favoritism to the poor. Verse uh, 6 is basically saying the same thing from the opposite direction. Be just and don't overlook the poor. And there's a temptation at times to go both ways, but the principle of verse 3 and of verse 6 together is be just, just flat out be just. And don't overlook the poor person when they come seeking for justice. And this can happen. This can happen in our society where people who are maybe not as well-dressed, people who don't have everything together in their lives, people whose lives have a lot of problems, sometimes they get overlooked. Sometimes they get pushed to the side. Sometimes they don't get the same treatment and respect of human dignity that other people get. And this is saying, don't do that. Treat people fairly and with justice. Make sure that these people don't get overlooked. Make sure their cases are heard and that they're heard justly. We also see in verse number nine, another group that is often pushed to the margins and that is the foreigner. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. He brings in their history. He says, remember who you are. Remember where you were. And if you mistreat someone who is living among you, it means that you've forgotten everything about your history. You've forgotten everything that you've, as a people, have been through. Remember, you were slaves and mistreated cruelly in Egypt. So don't do that to others. Don't oppress a foreigner. And I mentioned this last week in our message in Exodus 22, but I'll mention it again tonight. And that is we as God's people need to think about the best way to be a dispenser of mercy to foreigners who are coming to us. We are a nation of immigrants, right? I mean, all of us, at one point in time, our ancestors came to this country from another place. So all of us, we're all immigrants or descendants of immigrants. There are people coming to this country looking for prosperity, looking for freedom, looking to escape cruelty and terrorism and tyranny. And we need to to have a merciful, loving heart for people who are seeking that. Would you not want to seek that for yourself or for your own family? So we have to have a merciful heart Yes, I understand. We have to uphold law. We have to do this orderly. We have to make sure that that we're protecting our citizens, that we're protecting our country from terrorism. I understand that we have to balance all of those things, but we need to make sure that we're not leaving mercy at the door. That we're including love and compassion in our policies and procedures that we make, and even and then that's on the government level. And now even on the the personal level, we need to be careful that, that we treat others with respect. Whether they're poor, whether they're a foreigner, whoever they are. We treat others with respect and the human dignity that all people have because they're made in the image of God. And so this is how God wants his society to be organized. He wants his redeemed and sanctified people to be seekers of justice and dispensers of mercy. And that is who they are, isn't it? They are redeemed by God. They've been redeemed out of bondage, out of slavery, brought now to be God's holy people, and he's leading them to the promised land of freedom. And this is how he wants them to live. He wants them to be seekers of justice and dispensers of mercy. And may we, as the new covenant people of God, May we seek those same things as well. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for being a God who is just. A God who is truth. A God who always does what is right. We thank you for being a God who shows mercy and compassion. That looks to the needs of people, people who were even your enemies and you showed love to them. As your word says, Lord, we were enemies. We were in our minds hostile toward you. And yet, even while we were still in our sin and still enemies, you sent Christ to die and to be our redeemer. So, Lord, thank you for being a merciful and loving God, even to your enemies. Thank you for sending Christ to be our Redeemer. Now, Lord, as your redeemed people, as your people that are seeking to become holy as you are holy, may we seek to emulate your character of justice and mercy in the way that we live in our society, the way that we interact with others. Lord, help us to to mirror your heart of truth and compassion. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.